I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Silicon Valley Bank imploded over the weekend. It was a direct result of the Biden inflation and perhaps an indirect result of wokeness. Other banks are going under as well. Some type of backstop or bailout is inevitable, which is unpalatable to populace. It's scary stuff and pretty disturbing, and it's just getting started. Also in the news, the Oscars went pretty much as you expected. It was an unfunny and smug show with a left-wing agenda where artsy movies with limited broad appeal won the big awards. Tom Cruise and James Cameron didn't even bother to show up, and for good reason. There's a run on the border in Arizona and El Paso. We're moving into illegal migration season, and this is going to be a big deal for the next few months. World freedom is in steep decline. We get the the details on that. And we have much more in the opening of the show. We have a great guest today, Sean Spicer, former White House press secretary, current Newsmax host, and the author of the new children's book from Brave called The Parrots Go Bananas. His book was pre-canceled by Amazon, and now it's back, perhaps thanks to Breitbart. We explain all that. Plus, talk about the book and the state of children's education and entertainment. He does important work and is well worth your support. Let's take a listen right now. Um, Silicon Valley Bank uh, services a lot of the tech industry. It ter- services a lot of startups, a lot of venture capital firms. That's uh, kind of where most of uh, the money is there. And basically, uh, over the uh, last 10 years or so, interest rates, really 15 years, have been incredibly low. And all of a sudden, they're not so low. And so this caused a run on this bank, and it was eventually shuttered by regulators. It all happened really quickly. But if you think about it, interest rates now are up about 1,700% over a yearish or so ago, uh, two years ago. Um, I don't have the exact date in front of me. But the, this bank purchased a lot of treasuries that were sure bets when they bought them, and now they're not sure bets. And so people all of a sudden start to withdraw because if you look at some of the returns on investment, for example, like two-year U.S. Treasury notes are yielding triple what some of those assets are worth. So, and that's what ended up leading to the run. So people were uh, getting their money, moving it into sure bets given the higher interest rates. Um, but it did happen very quickly, which does raise some concerns, which I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, that this, uh, there could be more to the story than we've heard so far. But they basically had to sell off a lot of their loan portfolio. And in order to stay liquid enough to be able to handle all those withdrawals, and so they sold it at a huge loss, something like you know a couple billion dollar loss, five percent or so, maybe even ten percent of what that portfolio was worth for them. I mean, that is a huge uh, no no and a, a very bad sign for the bank. And so people were lining up to get all their money out. This is a major event. This is a major event, uh, not unlike the FTX uh, collapse, which again was also related to rising interest rates, uh, which was related to Bitcoin's collapse. And it wasn't just Sam Bankman-Fried's cheating, which clearly was done, uh, but a lot of people were making these bets when Silicon Valley was just uh, was just tonning it in revenue. They were completely flush with cash, and uh, a lot of this was there was already a hot sector. And then you had the pandemic where, remember, how Silicon Valley stocks were, it was the best place to have your money in the world. And um, this is why, one of the reasons why Silicon Valley Bank 
was uh, made themselves vulnerable because of uh, some of the decisions they made during that time. So purchase a lot of these uh, treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities uh, that are now just not having any sort of yield relative to this basic stuff like two-year U.S. Treasury notes um, because of the high interest rate. So the biggest risk here that we've got going, oh yeah, and also the double-digit tech stock decline. I mean, tech stocks are down double digits right now um, over the last year year plus, and a lot of the biggest tech companies now are down way beyond that. Um, but Silicon Valley Bank tends to service a lot of those startups as well, and it's just a really tough place to have your money for the first time in a really long time. And I don't think a lot of people saw that coming, at least to the level that we've seen right now. So um, of course there is a risk of contagion, which we'll get to later. There are other banks that have already shuttered, but this is the second biggest bank that shuttered in uh, this these circumstances in American history. So there are a lot of banks that have paper losses in their bond portfolios, which should be pretty similar to Silicon Valley Bank. Maybe Silicon Valley Bank is the worst because of the nature of who its customers are. But this is a very scary time for regional banks, and I don't know what we're going to see today, but there's a very good chance that today through this week, uh, this might not be the end of it, because I will tell you as someone who uh, has a pretty good understanding of this stuff, but is not a super savvy, sophisticated investor, then if I had a bunch of money in a regional bank right now, I would, I would, not, be, uh, I, I would not be feeling good about it. Um, and I don't know if that's you guys, maybe it is, and you're free to give me a call 866-95-PATRIOT if you have a sense of it. Um, but I, I would love to know what some of you are thinking if you have a lot of money tied up in a regional bank right now. And so that means people are going to take a lot of their money out of these regional banks and going to put them in big banks. So then there aren't any of these issues. So naturally, the U.S. government... Um, is is going to step in, and uh, we heard from Janet Yellen yesterday, who was uh, leaving the door open to uninsured deposits. Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, the government is going to. This is pretty inevitable. Here's what she said on CBS's Face the Nation. We want to make sure that the the troubles that exist at one bank don't create a contagion to others that are sound. We, have all, we are concerned about depositors and are focused on trying to meet their needs. What she's talking about here is the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, uh, has a, uh, it, it takes a bank into a receivership. Um, it, it took this bank into a receivership, which means it's issuing depositors of up to $250,000, which is what is insured by the FDIC. The problem is with Silicon Valley Bank that that amount is only a fraction of um, most of the deposits in that bank are much higher than that $250,000 number, which means they're technically uninsured. So this is where you have to wonder about some of the shenanigans, uh, if there were any potentially, of the executives at the Silicon Valley Bank. And I'll talk to you about some of these people momentarily. Um, but it, it means that the federal government is going to try to make sure that, for example, if you have money in this bank, that you can at least make your payrolls, pay vendors this week. But bank regulators are concerned, as John Carney's pointed out in some of our writing over the weekend, that panic customers at other banks are going to do the same thing. And this could create a really big problem. So more banks could be in jeopardy, and that's what we'll be tracking throughout the day at Breitbart, throughout the week, etc. 
So the Fed, the Treasury, the FDIC announced a backstop late yesterday. So they're going to, they're leaving it open to really expand the deposits beyond the $250,000 limit of the FDIC that'll be available on Monday when people inevitably, you know, try to uh, come to terms with the new reality. So the full write-up, you can see this from Page Breitbart News. Um, Carney will get down, break down all the details. But there's a lot of scrambling going on to try to get everyone coordinated to make sure that it, at least more banks don't go under and people don't feel like they have to yank all of their money out of regional banks. But I just don't know if it's going to be enough. So some important things to think about here is that the a lot of people, like my friend Vivek Ramaswamy was saying that you know there shouldn't be any bailouts here. Um, if there's no, there's going to be a bailout per se, but there's no backstopping, then all the money's going to get yanked out of regional banks. We're going to see a bunch of banks collapse and it could really be a Lehman Brothers moment. So th- there's no way that's going to happen right away. It's sort of a talking point, thought exercise, et cetera, that a lot of people, particularly um, people who are more libertarian and people who are very skeptical of some of these government financial regulators and entities as all should be, um, are going to be making that point today. But again, it's really playing with fire because if you don't do anything, then you're pretty much inviting a massive banking crisis collapse, etc. So that's not really on the table. They had to try to do something to try to staunch the bleeding. And if they succeed, just know that's not really a win for them. It'll be touted as a win. But it shouldn't be because we shouldn't be in this mess. And why are we in this mess? We're in this mess because of Joe Biden, the Biden inflation. And the Biden inflation making it necessary for us to jack up rates and jack up rates and jack up rates and jack up rates. And the Fed signaling that rates are not done getting jacked up. You guys saw the jobs numbers on Friday entirely too high, which means that you can expect rates to get jacked up again and again, or maybe not now. But as of Friday, when this bank was collapsing, the thought was that we were going to see rates continue to go up and up. So... This is a this is a really risky moment here, and uh, of course, just like almost every other problem, you can point it right back to Joe Biden. You can point it right back to him. If he had done anything to keep the Biden inflation under control, we would not be at this point. Full stop. Um, it is noteworthy, and I'll say this again: that we got to investigate what the executives were doing and how incompetent they were, and whether or not they're making really bad decisions. But it is a, politically, there is, there is a narrative here that I think cannot be lost. Which is when everything I've been documenting, this is some of my research, and I will point this out to you guys when I have the chance. That when every single thing Biden touches drives prices up, drives inflations up, he doesn't have a single policy that isn't inflationary. His Good ones, he doesn't even have any good ones. His mediocre ones, his bad ones, they're all inflationary. So, and then they're going to need these unbelievably extraordinary new measures that will have to be implemented by the federal government to help these uh, often rich folks, but they're not all rich folks. There was some viral stories online of people who have money in Silicon Valley Bank who are you know, small business owners, medium-sized business owners. But a lot of them are going to be rich folks, and a lot of them are going to get bailed out by the government to keep the entire economy afloat. 
Uh, and that's why you're going to see a lot of people for reasonable reasons say that no, nothing should be done. Just let them fail. So, um, and not to mention there's some wokeness at these banks as well, which I will get into. Here are some of the executives. I took some um, screen caps that were being shared online. Uh, Joseph Gentile, the chief administrative officer, apparently, according to online liter- literature, was the CFO of Lehman Brothers when it collapsed. It's not a very good sign. Um, someone named Kim Olson. Again, this is um, according to what I've been able to glean from the internet. So um, it is. These are these are things that uh, I might be able to find some new nuance to this. Spend a little more time. But she is the chief risk officer. Um, and she was once the managing director of Deutsche Bank during the 2008 crisis. So not a great sign there. Uh, everyone's favorite is someone named Jay Urzapa. And she's the head of financial risk management. And she has in one of her online portfolios a quote the phrase you can't be what you can't see resonates with me as a queer person of color and a first generation immigrant from a working class background there were not many role models for me to see growing up i feel privileged to co-chair the lgbtq plus erg and help spread awareness of lived queer experience experiences partner with charitable organizations and above all create a sense of community for our lgbtq plus employees and allies uh, why does the bank care about this stuff? Keep my money safe. Invest in some stuff so it get, gets good yield. The end. Period. Paragraph. Uh, why is ESG a part of this? Why is anything woke a part of this? There's no, absolutely no reason for any of it. None. None. And that's what's going to be interesting here because that's going to cause, I think, a lot of conservatives who saw the bailouts for typically wealthier people that poor working class normal people would never get after 2008 2009 are going to see this situation and they're going to be like no 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 pennies for these individuals let them fail let them die in the love of good case because of this stuff because you're doing ESG stuff instead of running your bank properly so and that's why you're seeing people like Matt Gates say no bailouts first guy out the fake was out there. Lots of online conservative influencers are going to have a hard policy on this. And that makes sense. They, ideologically, I don't know if it makes sense at all when it comes to what is going to actually save us from a banking crisis, which will uh, cripple a lot of the economy. But then again, a lot of people feel like the economy is already in terrible shape. This was inevitable. And we got to watch it all burn to make sure Biden loses. But can Biden even lose given the cheating that takes place, cheat by mail, tech censorship, et cetera? All these questions are now on the table all of a sudden. So the CEO of the startup accelerator known as Y Combinator, um, the president, Gary Tan, referred to this as a extinction level event. Yikes. So Silicon Valley Bank was trying to find a buyer over the weekend. They failed at that big scramble. 
Their CEO, by the way, sold 3.57 million of stocks two weeks before the bank collapsed. Greg Becker, genius. I'm sure he'll get a better job after this one. So they had uh, no chief risk, off risk officer for nine months before the collapse. The um, European head was the woman that I mentioned. It's all the LGBT queer plus plus stuff. So not a great look for Jerome Powell and the Fed as well. Uh, Elon Musk claims he's opened the idea of buying the Silicon Valley Bank because he doesn't have enough to do with Twitter and Tesla and his space company and his hole digging company and his internet company and his city he's building. So it's just online goofball stuff. Um... The fallout is going to continue. We're going to keep seeing stuff. Oh, here's something. So so Etsy, for example. Do you guys use Etsy? Etsy is one of the greatest things around. It's a DIY marketplace. So it really empowers small craftsmen, business people to be able to sell their stuff. It's probably one of the coolest things on the internet, to be honest with you. So people can sell their wares. And mom and pop, American-made producers... Huge, huge, huge business. They're saying they're they're delaying seller payouts. So th that's why like, this is that's the ultimate of small business. It's like micro business stuff, but they rely on this big you know Silicon Valley company to do the e-commerce. But that's the type of stuff when you're hearing the discussion of bailouts today. Just keep that in mind that it's not just bailouts for the richest bankers on Wall Street this time. A lot of it is for the people who can't get their money because they, from their one-to-one uh, -one transactions on Etsy that are taking place. So a tough spot, really tough spot here. And again, it is not stopping. Um, it is not stopping because we're going to, first of all, I want to see which banks, and you'll know pretty quick today because we're going to see people, they're probably lining up now to get their money. There's a, how many thousands of Americans will be lining up to get their money, not just out of uh, SVB, but out of regional banks as well. So people online, as they often do, any of you spend any time reading anything anti-establishment in terms of financial news online, as I do every day, uh, you will see that everyone's favorite whipping boy is a guy named Jim Cramer, who's on CNBC. And he touted Silicon Valley Bank just a couple of weeks ago. So a lot of people, there's one meme account that does all of his investments based on the opposite of what Jim Cramer says and is making money, allegedly. So Cramer is loaded with the worst takes and still, because I guess he's cut a compelling image for himself on TV, continues to give financial advice on CNBC. Um, and um, Cramer had also recommended in 2002 something called Signature Bank. Well, Signature Bank shut down yesterday. Third biggest bank to shut down the history of the country. Silicon Valley Bank being second. So um, look at whatever banks Kramer's been touting, and that might be a insight into what's coming next. You guys might remember Barney Frank, um, who behind the Dodd-Frank bill, which you can tie directly to the financial crisis 2008-2009. He's on Signature Bank's board. Do you see the just incestuousness of idiocy that goes on in this country sometimes? 
we don't have a great ability to hold people accountable who are really bad at their jobs. They seem to just get shuffled into other jobs where they have way too much power. And they have an ability to cause uh, more problems. So regulators close crypto-focused signature bank citing a systemic risk. This was Sunday. Um, Sunday evening, East Coast time. So a lot of stress on the financial system right now. And things are just beginning. Just beginning. Okay, 866-95-PATRIOT, if you would like to opine on any of this and share any insight, I know there's some of you in the audience who are more knowledgeable about this than I am, though I do my homework, as you can see. Um, but if you have anything that you would like to add, please, by all means, the floor is yours. Uh, other things that were going on, and it kind of feels silly to talk about other stuff because this is you know, uh, perhaps going to be the biggest story of the decade or be one of them. But uh, there is other stuff going on. So we'll talk about some of these. Uh, the other big thing over the weekend was the Oscars. Uh, I watched the Oscars for the first time in a long time, partially because, and this is what happens to me sometimes, I get extra culture when Robert Marlowe, who is our night front page editor at Breitbart, uh, is at my house. So when he's when he's there and he's on duty, he has to watch it. I can kind of keep an eye on the internet for if anything's going big that's going on. Um, but so I watched the whole thing. It was a sad, it was a sad event. Um, Jimmy Kimmel was the comedian again because most other comedians aren't masochistic enough to do it because they, you can't make any jokes because anything funny is going to offend some people. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. It wasn't even funny, but uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who, you know, famously uh, was on The Man Show, which I, I really liked at the time, but it was, you know, misogynistic in a lot of ways. The trick with The Man Show is the joke was always on Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. So so the joke was always on them. They were always supposed to look like jerks, but they could never get away with any of that stuff now. But he would make fun of women. And that's what he did. And he's making fun of um, uh, Malala, who is a Nobel Prize winner who got shot and she's a Pakistani activist, got shot and then survived it. And talks about human rights and, you know, he was kind of roasting her in the audience. And then the internet was outraged. The internet was because, you know, that's not woke. You can't make fun of Malala. Though, which of course, everyone's wondering why was she there? She's allegedly why she did the Oscars. She's a producer of some movie now. Isn't that great? So it was all incredibly long, very boring, very self-indulgent, and fairly woke. The wokest moment is what we have as a lead story up at Breitbart News right now. Uh, this movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once won Best Picture, Best Actress, Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor, Director, all sorts of things. It was one of the biggest cleanups um, in recent memory. Actually, ever, really. It was really one of the biggest um, sweeps that we've seen. All Quiet on the Western Front, which is sort of an anti-war German movie based on the the book, which most of us read in middle school, which seems pretty pretty good. Um, but it was it was uh, th that won the rest of the awards, and that was pretty much all the awards. So, but this is a quirky movie that some people have described as a lesbian fantasia. I I haven't seen it. I don't know. Um, it's produced by this company called A twenty four, which does make a lot of really interesting independent movies. Uh, maybe the movie's good, but it is the director pointed out that uh, he defended drag queens and drag children as a threat to no one. So, you know, you'll get a couple of minutes to accept these awards. They don't happen all the time. A guy named Daniel Scheinert, Schneiert, Scheinert, something like that. 
Um, that was what he used some of his some of his precious time speaking to the world. Uh, you know why people don't tune into these things? They don't give the awards to movies a lot of people have seen. Though this one did okay at the box office, I think a hundred million dollar box office, which is fairly high for Oscar winners these days. But you know, everyone liked Top Gun Maverick, one of the biggest movies of all time, wins very few awards. Um, I'm not an Avatar fan, but it's now the third highest grossing movie of all time, few awards. So they give the awards every year to these movies, smaller movies, and they feel very good about themselves. And then the award recipients come up and they say woke stuff. And it makes people like my audience say, well, okay, well, I'm tuning out. I'm not going to watch this stuff. Actress Jessica Chastain had a mask on and um, it was a cloth mask. And when she was on camera, she'd take it off. She knew she was on camera because that's, you know, the hard science. And what's noteworthy is that of all the movies they nominate, they don't, they didn't go up in the box office. So the only ones that really had big box office bumps was Avatar, but that's not even a bump because everyone's going to Avatar anyway, especially internationally. So if you watch any of it, you had any thoughts, um, that is that is pretty much all I want to say because I don't want to waste a ton of your time on it because I got a feeling most of you didn't see the movies. And if you did see them, they're not the ones that won. So, but it was typical affair. It was very pathetic. It was very sad. If the, if you guys care about the movies, uh, they're not in good shape. They're stewards. The stewards of Hollywood and the stewards of the movie are uh, not good. They're not taking care of the art form very well. Because even if these movies are good, I'm not saying they're all bad. I didn't see many of them this year. Um, I saw a few of the ones that were nominated, but, you know, there's... Not enough to have an informed opinion on if the big winners were, were very good, but I will tell you they don't they didn't make a good case for themselves. They are not making Hollywood seem cutting edge and cool. It's making them seem woke and lame, and very obsessed with diversity. A lot of talk of diversity, a lot of talk of um, you know people saying this is very exciting. And I hope I'm an inspiration for people who look like me. Uh, why everyone is obsessed with race and gender and class and sexual orientation all the time. And it's a, we can't stop with it. I just want a big award. Let's talk about trans kids or drag kids. So Hollywood has not changed. Thus, I will leave that there for now unless you care to say anything else. Um, let's. Um, do we have the Jane Fonda clip? Zach, I got to figure we've got it, right? We don't have the Jane Fonda clip? That is wild. How do we not have it? That is a, we talked about, uh, she said she wants to murder abortion rights actor or anti-abortion rights activists. So we got to get that one. That one's a, I'm surprised. What would that, all right. So, so we'll get that. So, so Jane Fonda talked about uh, murdering people um, and um, because they're conservatives. So I just, I just thought that I would point that out to, to note how Hollywood is still lost. In the meantime, by the way, Donald Trump topped the iTunes chart, beating Miley Cyrus, who got a high, hot album right now, Morgan Wallen, who has uncanceled himself and has a super hot album right now, um, with his song, Justice for All, which is a musical rendition of the Pledge of Allegiance, I think. And I, I heard it. I, th- I think that's what it is. And it is by the J6 Prison Choir, which I don't totally get. But Trump cites the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, Zach, if we're able to play a clip of that legally, I would I would like to play a clip of that because it is, it is, it is, it is 
is different. And I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on it. I'm sure some of you heard it because clearly it's the number one song. All right, a few other items I do want to bring up before we move uh, to calls, et cetera. Um, so the Freedom Caucus has laid out their demands for a debt ceiling demand. This is coming up this week. We're going to talk a lot about debt ceiling and what will be traded for it. This is when we're I'm a full stop on the debt ceiling that we should just just cap it now and not let us succeed the debt ceiling. And I don't really care what happens because we're on the brink of taking off entirely, which means it's just going to be even more game on than it is now. And the Freedom Caucus got a lot of ideas. Most of them are pretty good. I'm sure we'll get to some of them throughout the week. But uh, it's just this horse trading for how high to get the debt. It's, uh, I would like to see what reductions in spending we're having. We're not going to have any, especially now. Because now we're looking at, you know, um, more IRS agents to come after you guys. Yellen did admit that 90% of the IRS audits will slap small businesses uh, and families. So it's not really going to be about billionaires. So any of you who are getting into tax season here, and I know many of you are, then just know that the IRS is waiting for you. They're waiting. They're not waiting to bust the big businesses because, again, they're too much effort because they have great attorneys. They have compliance officers to make sure that they're coloring between the lines and they're prepared to get away with anything. So you guys don't have those types of resources to contest everything. So look for the IRS come after you and say that you owe a little bit more. Contrary to what Joe Biden has said, but Joe Biden is willing to say anything because Joe Biden is uh, blows the political wind. So uh, that's coming, but a debt ceiling debate is coming up as well. Um, let's see. I want to bring up that global freedom has declined for the 17th year in a row. Uh, this is what takes place when people focus too much on which speech should be censored online, uh, whether or not we should have Drag Queen Story Hour. It is uh, when our priorities get, when we're talking about global warming too much and electric vehicles catch on fire and wind farms and everything in the World Health Organization's agenda. When we spend too much time on that stuff, then global freedom declines around the world. Um, this is according to Freedom House. We'll try to have some people on. Uh, they give, they speak to us a lot um, in terms of written content. But I would like to have someone on the broadcast from Freedom House who breaks this down. But the zero COVID lockdowns uh, were clearly part of the issue here. Um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, coups throughout the world in uh, ostensibly democratic areas. All these contributed to how freedom has declined. Tibet is reportedly now less free than North Korea. How's that for uh, all of you who are apologists for all the business we do with China? So there's, little, there's a literal genocide going on there anyway. And Tibet is now less free, part of China, even though they don't see it that way. Only 5% um, in, in the Asia-Pacific live in free countries now. Only 5% Asia-Pacific live in free countries. I would, I would presume that's Japan and South Korea, right, I guess? So Tibet ranked as the least free territory. Who could that be? Who could that be? Oh, maybe it's the Chinese, the communist Chinese. Buddies of the Bidens, buddies of Silicon Valley, Elon Musk, etc. 
Xi Jinping was a unanimously elected president of China again, so he'll be emperor for life probably. A Chinese rocket made an uncontrolled re-entry into Earth, and it disintegrated over Texas. Is that a good sign? Will Biden do anything about it? Does he care? I doubt it. AMLO, the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, has said don't vote Republican. Duh, of course he doesn't want people to vote Republican. He doesn't want people to vote Republican because when you vote Republican, you get stuff like progress towards the border wall, you get remain in Mexico, you get the Northern Triangle agreements. All this stuff takes away the power of the, not just cartels, the Mexican government as well. And it means that they got to deal with a lot of illegal aliens from other countries that can't make it all the way into America. It makes it so that they can't have some illegal aliens get into America to send money back to Mexico. So he loves Biden. I just don't know if it's a good move, him telling us how to vote. But um, he said he would call for all Hispanics not to vote for Republicans because Republicans are corrupt, inhumane, and hypocritical. Well, we might be hypocritical sometimes. And we might be corrupt sometimes, but not compared to the Democrats. And we're much more humane, much more. Democrats love human rights abuses if it's convenient to them politically or um, financially. Case in point, China. So he criticized the gun lobby for funding Republicans. Isn't that amazing? Cartels are some of those violent people on the planet. He has no ability to crack them down, crack down on them. He doesn't really uh, want to anyway. All right. Yeah, I, maybe I should have mentioned this in the debt ceiling conversation. The U.S. have sent some weapons to Ukraine that have ended up in the hands of the Iranians. This is one of the issues with Joe Biden's horrific foreign policy is there are downstream beneficiaries who are often even worse than the direct beneficiaries. A lot of the Ukraine-Russia policy has ended up benefiting the Iranians anyway. Uh, Biden trying to cut a Iran nuclear deal right now, again, for no apparent reason, benefits the Russians. Um, Biden cracking down on Russian oil benefits the Chinese. There's all these downstream effects where Biden's policies really do seem to help multiple sets of bad guys, depending on how much attention you want to pay to it. But military-grade weaponry, including U.S. hardware, in Ukraine is allegedly being sold to international buyers via the messaging app Telegram. So Telegram, which is free speech platform, they're using uh, they're they're taking the American weapons and selling them to Iranians. There are chaotic scenes right now at our border, to go back a minute, uh, and I want everyone to check them out at Breitbart.com or Cartel Chronicles Vertical, uh, some of them. Arizona, other regions as well. It is a big run now on the border. And again, when we have other stuff to deal with, hordes of migrants, uh, that just surreal scenes coming in from Mexico, while the Mexican president is, you know, insulting Republicans. Arizona, El Paso, Texas. People waiting, breaking down the barricades here. So, it is going to get a lot worse. Weather's getting better. Getting better, moving into spring. This is really, this is, you know how there's football season? There's Oscar season. This is illegal alien season. <laughs> 
right now. So keep that in mind as well. So lots of happy news to start the day as always. talking to Sean Spicer, one of the good guys in Washington. His heart's in the right place. He puts a lot of time in as well. So we'll hear about his new book from Brave, getting canceled yet again, and the message it has, which is a very valid one for people about being open-minded and listening to people and trying to reject the fake news and the rumor mill. So all that gets covered and much more in the interview. Let's hear it. Sean, great to have you back. How you been? Good, Alex. Thanks for uh, for having me. And before I forget, uh, a big thanks to everyone at Breitbart Nation who put out the word. I, I, I don't, I'm sure we're going to get to this, but you know, we we published this book at Brave Books that you mentioned, the Parrots Go Bananas. Uh, we put it up at Amazon, and Amazon suppresses it. Literally, you can't find it on Amazon, which is like the first time I published three books. Brave has published hundreds, and and we can't believe this. Like literally, I'm emailing the publisher. I'm like, why is it up at Amazon? And he's like. What do you mean? Of course it's up at Amazon. And I'm like, no, it's not. And uh, and so Breitbart wrote a great story, and I think we got a ton of, uh, of pressure put on Amazon. And so finally, after like seven days, they they have now, you know, you can now get it on Amazon, which I'd rather, frankly, if you go to BraveBooks.com and get it just to piss them off. But uh, I think because Breitbart called attention to this uh, and, and so many people saw the article and uh, and made noise about it, it, Amazon couldn't help but react. But I, you know, I would, I, again, I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out because Breitbart was the one that flagged this and, and put the attention on it. Yeah. Amazon is one of these things in the book world um, that is, it, it's inevitable. You can't be as much as we would love to not support Amazon. And, and I, I, if any of you want to support independent uh, bookstores, that's great. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think Barnes and Noble is significantly better. I, I mean, there's just, it's unpalatable to support Amazon, but they're so big. There's not really, they're kind of hard to avoid. And um, it is pretty clear that your book was being suppressed. I mean, anyone could have seen that on, on its face. And so what do you, how did you notice that the book was getting suppressed? And then what was the process after we put up the article? Did you hear from them or did all of a sudden just start showing up? So, so basically, I mean, look, I don't, I, I, you know, we, we had these guys have, I don't know the inside machinations of how it all happens. Right. But I've done three books. I've never had a problem. Um, This one dealt the parrots go bananas, teaches kids about the dangers of fake news. Amazon and the Washington post are connected. The Washington post has not exactly been, a big supporter of mine, and uh, and so they they followed the procedures that they always have in terms of brave books. That is to to put up a book, and you know so they were supposed to have it available, you know, like you would any other book. It was available March first, so like on the twenty seventh we put it up for pre order. Well, there's nothing. Then the twenty eighth of February, there's still nothing, and the first of March goes around. You know, the day that it was actually available to ship. Um, and of course you can always go to bravebooks.com, but I'm like, I'm emailing the publisher. I'm like, Hey guys, like what's going on? Like why I like, and, and, and they've done this, like I said, hundreds of times. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, and they're like, you know, 
so we we talked you know we alerted Breitbart to it Breitbart puts up this story and then and I, we tagged Amazon in the in the stories and check out this story about Amazon suppressing the book in Breitbart and then just conservative influencers from all over uh, were pushing the story out saying you got to read this you got to read this and frankly after I don't know it was like about 48 hours suddenly the book just appeared so they didn't say anything to us they didn't do anything there was no outreach there was no hey it's our bad or oh we, you know we forgot to hit the switch it just randomly appeared after I think it became the sixth day after it had been submitted for, you know, that, but again, none of it made sense because brave books, this isn't their first rodeo. They've been doing this, uh, hundreds of books. So, and again, I have, I've got, you know, at that time I had three books published. So it's like, it goes onto your author page. I mean, there's this whole thing that just happens. Um, and I've never had any issues before, uh, cause it goes up before the book is for sale obviously not just, you know, so you can take pre-orders. Um, and that's what I thought was so odd. And uh, because it didn't show up at all. And suddenly after Breitbart puts this story out and a bunch of conservative leaders and influencers started retweeting it, pushing it out, suddenly poof, you know, it, it just literally showed up in Amazon uh, as available. Like whatever post Brave Books had put through, it, it popped open. And again, I, I just, it's, it's one of these things that I've realized in the conservative world where if we, the, the whole ultimate goal on everything that the left has is to basically silence folks on the right and silence right voices. And if we speak up and are loud, then we normally, because most of our, I think, for, frankly, what we're doing makes sense and our policies make sense, et cetera. So I think part of this is just, they view that they just don't expect folks on the right to fight back. Um, yes, that's right. And that's where that's where I've always found. I, I I just I think whether it's this book that you know the parrots go banana from brave, whether it's ESG, um, whether it's a lot of these policies that we're seeing, I I think the big takeaway that I keep seeing over and over again as a conservative is, look, if if you're willing to get a group of folks together and push back, I mean, you see this in education or in COVID parents say no more no more that we can actually score victories um and and that's to me the the big takeaway in the last two years is that if we actually use our numbers um to push back we will actually win i love that uh, it's great that that's how the process can work though it would be nice if amazon would reach out and say sorry it was my bad uh, i mean but, it, but it, i mean look i i just don't i mean we've seen this with twitter and the shadow bands or whatever it's always some oh it was an editing mistake it's not like they're ever going to say hey guess what the liberal dude who went to you know uh stanford hates you and he hates everything the conservatives stand for and he refused to do his job and you know we're not going to punish him but we're sorry i mean what what what's the real I mean, I, I, you know, I've always said that like fake apologies are just that. And so we see this all the time. Don Jr. got PNC Bank, the, uh, you know, tried to close his account the other day. And then suddenly after all this conservative pressure, they said like it was a mistake. I mean, give me a break. It wasn't a mistake. It's just that they got caught. And, and that's the thing. And then there was a ton of pressure. And so they reversed course. But they're not sorry. They're not like I mean that's the thing is that I, I just I don't think that they're actually 
there's a difference between a, a true mistake or being, you know, truly sorry for something that you did. And these guys who just realized that they got caught and they got called out. Yeah, I, I, that, that is great. It's in, but I, I'm still am upset about it in a way though, Sean, because the problem is these books need muzzle velocity. They need to get a, a, a launch and when Amazon stands in the way of that, then it's not. It's great to see that the mechanisms are working. I, I for personally feel great about it that Breitbart played such a big role in it. Um, but you know, I, I'm still. It's still an outrage, and it just feels. I feel like we should. It's nice that we can win these battles, but we need to win the war against big tech. And I don't well, know I, I, if we're I think, doing that. I, you know, I think in a small way, I understand a lot what, what, what Trump's saying when Trump says, "You know, I can." You know, I can weather these storms that, you know, I, I know people like you and Matt Boyle and, and folks and we can call up and say, hey, you're not going to believe what's happening. But for the average person that's dealing with, you know, um, sort of being censored on a local level who don't have connections, you know, might not know somebody at Breitbart um, or somebody in the conservative world that can echo, you know, be their voice. This is where the, the left really tries to win is to silence those local voices. And I, I will tell you, I'm at least heartened by so many people who are running for school board and city council and things like that because the local level and they're saying, all right, I'll go, I'll go, you know, make it, make a, uh, you know, make my voice heard and make a difference. But that's the thing that sucks is that for so many people who may not have that opportunity or the, the connection that the left is just like, hey, we're going to silence you. Right, exactly. Uh, Sean, so tell me about the book, uh, The Parrots Go Bananas, and <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it is about fake news in a way. It's about the rumor mill. It's kind of apropos given the subject matter. Yeah, so so as you know, Brave Books makes these great Christian uh, patriotic books. I was approached to them. We talked a lot of collaboration. I said, you know, here's what I know. I know politics, and I know the media, and we were joking about fake news, and I said – they said, well, that's it. And I said, what do you mean that's it? And they said, let's teach kids about the dangers of fake news. And I said, well, do you really want to teach four to 12 year olds about fake news? And they said, let's, let's, let's kind of toss this out and tell it in a way that maybe a four to 12 year old can understand. So we don't use the word fake news or the media, but we have two characters in the book that are recurring characters in the, in the Brave Books Freedom Island saga. And they're playing basically the equivalent of a baseball game and they get accused of cheating. And these are upstanding citizens of Mushroom Village, and and um, and so and then everyone turns on them and says, "How dare you cheat?" And I can't believe you did this. And they pile on. I mean, I, I think of instances like that that I've dealt with, and a lot of conservatives. If you think about it, the guy like Nick Sandman from Covington Catholic, who just was standing there and gets accused of something, and then everyone piles on. That's right. the kind of circumstance that we're we're dealing with. And then ultimately, you know, they they get vindicated at the end. And they kind of are trying to teach their friends a lesson and say, why would you accuse us of something? We're good people. You know, we're, we've been your friends and we've always done the right thing. And, and, and the kids learn a lesson. And so I, I have two 12 year olds and I work with them on the book. And, you know, we're kind of trying to come up with scenarios that they were dealing with at school with their friends. And, uh, and I think that, again, it's not just being accused because, you know, only so many people deal with that, but it's it's that bandwagon mentality that kids have to deal with, where it's jump on and and you you know join in and and accuse this person of this nefarious thing. I think that's what a lot of us and a lot of kids deal with, where there's the pack mentality of let's all let's all you know join in, um, and that's where 
I wanted to kind of show the evils of what happens when that when that happens. There's exercises for the kids in the back to do with their parents. So if you're younger, then okay. the parent can read with the kid. If they're older, my kids, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, then, and the illustrations are phenomenal. If you literally go to bravebooks.com, you can see some of the amazing illustrations that we've done. Um, I had nothing to do with those. Uh, if you <laughs> my artistic talents have, you know, score zero on the, on the scale there, but uh, it was fun being able to do this because I think that like, again, this is the kind of stuff that kids as they grow up, you know, um, are, are definitely in deal with um, as they get, you know, not just in the preteen, but in the teenage years. And they've got to have the wherewithal to say, Hey, uh, let's, let's, pause before we judge let's make sure that this makes sense um let's let the facts bear themselves out first i mean there were so many times i was reading uh, a book the other day actually dealing with the covington catholic situation and all of these people who jumped to conclusions were suddenly apologizing to nick salmon within 24 48 hours after quote more information came out because they realized they were wrong. And I thought about it in the context of this book, The Parrots Go Bananas, and started to think, you know, how many of these kids in this book who are reading this book realize that, like, how many times did they jump to conclusions because they were told by a friend who was told by a friend that so-and-so did something bad and then realized a couple of days later that, well, actually it never happened, but then have to go and apologize or, you know, you know but the, the ink is already dried. That person has been stained with that accusation and um, and so hopefully, you know, we can teach them a lesson. And the cool thing is, you know, you mentioned Brave Books at the beginning of this. Like we have a deal for the month of March where if you go buy the book, it's only a dollar. Uh, you can sign up for the Freedom Island Book Club subscription. You get like a really cool book. And I love it because, as I said, I have two 12-year-old kids. They're always reading or watching something, and you want to make sure that they're reading or watching something. You don't have to worry about that. There's no woke agenda. And Brave – always does that there's something that's patriotic that's christian that's just you know that's teaching them a lesson about life without jamming it down their throat and like i said we don't in this book talk about fake news we just talk about not jumping to conclusions right and that would be a nice thing to get back to that and it's nice to teach our kids that john but it you are lying to them, though, unfortunately, because they're just going to get smeared and lied about. And it doesn't matter what good they do. It's all hopeless. I, I, I'm giving up and I won't tell my kids otherwise. No, no, no. no I'm, I, I know. I love it. I love the message. And one thing that I love about Brave Books is that as someone with young kids, it's a constant struggle to find enough good books that not just entertain the children, but the parents as well. And it's very fun when some of your favorite people who are give you the news every day or give you the the politics every day or give you your policy every day uh, that they are doing this with brave books because it just you get a it, it's not rocket science to write these things and it's great to have smart people and just say can you dedicate your brain to this for a little while and then we'll make a book out of it i just love the business model so much as someone who reads two or three kids books a day at a minimum uh, it's just great that every every month you get something new well, and again, I you know I understand your point in terms of uh, the hopelessness because of what they're surrounded with, but every once in a while, you know, I will hear a, a story of a circumstance uh, involving my kids where they do the right thing, or another kid they'll say, "Oh, you're never going to guess what so and so did," and I don't know if it's a lesson that I taught them, if it's something that somebody else taught them, if it's something they heard in school, or, but it's like if we don't start surrounding them with forces of good. Um, 
then we are leaving it up to, you know, YouTube and all of these leftists that are at school. And so I I get it. It's just I'm not willing to just give up and say sorry. And I I think because I I think that's the problem is that I, you know, I I will relay a conversation I had with somebody. And you'll appreciate this, I think, that that a few months back, uh, there was an individual that I'm friends with, very close to, who watches my show on Newsmax, you know, uh, from time to time. And they, they had sort of commented to me. They said, you know, you, you really go over the top sometimes. I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, you know, you make things seem so, you know, that the, the, the left is so, you know, so they, they've got these bad intentions. And I said, they do. And they said, oh, come on. You can't tell me that you honestly believe that. And then, I don't know, four or five months later, they called me up and they said, you're not going to believe what happened in my kid's school. And I said, well, tell me the whole story. And they go into this whole thing about how – the end of the day, um, and their kid at 12, 13, something like that, somewhere in that age group, they said they, the, the, par- the teachers weren't letting the kids basically leave for the day if they hadn't given their pronouns. And, uh, and, and this kid was like and, – and this – my friend's kid was like, what are you talking about? Like I don't, I don't have pronouns. Like I, I'm me. And they, the, the teachers were basically like, okay, well – and you can't be dismissed today until you've affirmatively given us what you want to be referred to as. And, and wow. the parent was calling me and going, you got to tell – this is insane. And I said, so wait a second. So let me get this straight. I go over the top. I tell – you know, like didn't you call me four months ago and tell me that the less motives weren't that bad yes. and that you know, we were just – and now that it's personal to you and now that you've seen it, you're you're now going. You're trying to tell me like we got to get out on this. We got to deal with this. And I said, do you see how you, you just maybe you just don't see it enough. And and again, he was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, but it's just I don't think that we're some for some folks. And I think that's the problem with a lot of that. What the left has done is they've taken a lot of these folks who may not, you know, maybe they don't have kids and and or their kids are older. Um, or they're not, and, and they kind of indoctrinate them like, like, oh, our agenda is not that bad. We're we're not doing that, you know. And and you wake up and you realize what it's really done to society. Um, and and that's where I think you know, starting with the kids and helping them to understand that there is truly an agenda that the left is driving is important. And hopefully, we can start to push back a little. And again, the thing that I find so different about the two ideologies, the left wants to indoctrinate kids. They want to teach them that, you know, we're inherently racist and that we're bad people and that, you know, that there are 18 genders. Um, I think the right is just saying, hey, be a good person, right? And I think that's that's a big difference. Yeah, I like that. And it's a good message. And we got to get to the kids because we're we're losing the battle, I think, overall in terms of indoctrination. But it's partially because we're not picking up our sticks and, and fighting back. And I think that's what Brave Books is doing, which is why we're so happy to talk about your stuff. And I, I was just making fun earlier, Sean, because it is um, it, it is a really important message. It is one, though, that just seems anyone who spends any time in social media just seems very hopeless some days. And Oh, I, I get it because because it, it, it's easy to watch a kid go down a rabbit hole too. And the next thing you know, they start off watching something wholesome, and then the next thing you know, they're watching something that is talking to them about eighteen, you know, different genders. Oh well, you know, I had this experience um, recently with my kids where 
they've got um we uh, i admittedly though i hate to admit it some days uh have disney plus and the reason is just because i'm not gonna deprive my kids of classic disney and pixar because uh i hate the current executive team at disney now it just uh, i just can't do it they're just not that much other good stuff that's vying for their time um so um uh, so but the thing is some member of the family had put on a Disney show. I won't mention which one in case an individual's listening. And it was not one that Dada had vetted previously. And I came running in like they were playing with matches. Like I come running like, no, turn off. No, no, no. You can't put on a random Disney show anymore. And it was totally earnest. It, I'm not making a political point in my house. Everyone thankfully agrees with me on politics. It was that you can't just put on a random Disney show. Those days are over because you never know what you're going to get. You could get one yeah. of these things like with the with the Proud family where they're just, you know, minute one, they're lecturing you on how, what a bad guy Lincoln was. Yeah, I had dinner with a group of folks uh, on, on uh, and I don't, I'm not, I, I stopped watching Star Wars and Marvel movies. I mean, if, to your point, like when my kid has something, I'll, I'll go try to see it if, I, if it's age appropriate. But beyond that, and, and they were telling me about why the Star Wars franchise was dead and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're telling me that, like, Marvel and Star Wars have now introduced characters that, uh, that you know, are now – it's all about trying to have equity and makeup for – and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, can't we just have Star Wars and can't we just have, you know, like superheroes and – but everything's got to now rebalance itself. And that's, that's the problem is that you can't just put your kid in front of a, a Disney movie and hope that they just get a message. It's got to like, I, I don't know what the gender uh, of Mickey Mouse is. I, 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 I don't growing up or Minnie or, or any of the characters, frankly, I, I, <laughs> I never thought about it. I really don't care, but suddenly now we have to introduce other characters that have other genders. Again, Mickey could be gay for all I know. I, I never really thought about it. I've never really cared. Uh, but suddenly Disney felt it necessary to go out and create other characters in Pixar and all these guys and Marvel. It's like, for what reason? Like, was there a, was there sort of, you know, this lacking need? Because, I, again, we didn't have genders assigned to any of these superheroes or fictional characters and now suddenly we've got to overcompensate for it by actually going out and creating one. And, and just that's that's the problem is that, that you this is what we're up against is that the left is like we're going to indoctrinate kids at an early age to teach them about things that they otherwise could have just gone without for a while. Well, the lowest barrier of entry, if we're going to start fighting Mac, it got to be the children's books. They're they're not that hard to do. It doesn't look like Brave Books is making it like a machine, and it's high quality, great messages, and they're in your home every day. And I, as I noted, I my kids interact with them every day, multiple books, and it's just a great thing that's going on. And maybe next is Brave TV. I'm sure that's crossed their mind. And um, we've got to start doing these things because more people, Sean, are, are tuning out of the news. And it's the there's not a big election coming up. People don't want to have the news on every day, all the time. And uh, as much as it's not helpful for, for my business model and yours, it's a reality. And we need to start fighting back the culture war. I, I don't think I have to admit, I don't channel Andrew Breitbart in the show very much, Sean, even though I knew him better than just about anyone. 
I don't think he would have been super impressed with how hard we fought back in the culture war. I think he would have been really impressed with the media. I think that um, he he would have been imp- with all of his millions of disciples. I, I think that he would have hoped there'd be more people doing what Brave Books is doing, trying to go where the left has gone and and take our, our own territory. Well, the, the the beauty is, and hopefully what this what what's happening, um, not just with Brave Books, uh, but but with other outlets that I'm seeing because it's I'm seeing it more and more is that I think that as as people who have ideas who are entrepreneurial, like look at Rumble for example, or you know you, you saw Getter and uh, and Dave Rubens is a friend of the show. He comes on. You know, locals, and we've now started to create products where, you know, we can go out there and do things. And I think that part of what, you know, Andrew might be proud of is this idea that the right has stopped trying to figure out how to play the left game every time and saying, great, we'll create our own content here. We'll create our own platform here. And done that very successfully. You saw, I mean, I haven't watched it. I haven't, excuse me, listened to it, but I I saw countless tweets and stories over the weekend about how Donald Trump is is now like the number one iTunes, right? It's, but like, I think that we have started to say, great, we'll, we'll create content and products and platforms and, and, and vote in numbers and vote with our wallet. And so anyway, I just think that like part of this is that we started to get our swagger and our stride and saying, great. Okay. Instead of complaining, like when I did, instead of just sitting around and saying when brave books, when, when the parrots go bananas was when I realized basically, again, at first I was like, I mean, maybe brave books just didn't get the book up on Amazon. And, and, and we were going back and forth and I was like, guys, are we good? Like what, what's the problem? I just assumed it was a glitch and they're like, Nope, here's the steps that we take. We've done this 250 times. This is what happened. This isn't, you know, it's clearly not happening the way it's supposed to, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and we realized, okay, this is actually on Amazon, and Amazon's not responding to us, and here's what we're going to do. We took action. And I think that that's, that's sort of the difference. Yeah. Is that, like, right. we've now realized, okay, instead of sitting back and saying, oh, woe is me. And I think for so many conservatives, I was at CPAC walking around, and there's so many different products, platforms, outlets, where it's like, instead of just saying like, woe is me, I can't believe that we're getting screwed or whatever, people took action and said, all right, I don't like the way that this is happening. Like, you're, you know, so we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And it's not perfect yet, but I just, am, I, I love the idea that so many people have said, all right, I'll go out and create something or I'll fight back. In the yes. Player. I'll do yes. That. But, but and we need, is- we need more, we need more. And I think that that's the, the point that, um, I want to make. And for the audience, if you want more then you got to go uh, support people who are doing the right things, uh, the parrots go bananas is the new book. You can finally get on Amazon, but where do you want people to go get it from? Where's the best place to go? I'd rather look, you can go on Amazon if you want. You can always go to Sean obviously. But bravebooks.com is the place to go because let's let's to your point, let's let's give the the most support to a group and an organization and a company that's actually doing the right thing as opposed to right. Jeff Bezos and, and those guys. So if, if you're in a rush and you need it tomorrow, I think probably Amazon's the place to go. If you're not, go to bravebooks.com and sign up there. 
I like it. Don't miss Spicer and Company on Newsmax on weeknights. Thanks, Sean. Always appreciate it. Hey, thanks for all your help. And I appreciate everyone at Breitbart uh, for all you guys are doing. I'm American made. I got American parts. That's today's broadcast. Thanks so much to Zach Jones, who produces the podcast, and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics, and to all of you for sticking with us. We'll have one more podcast at least this week. So we'll catch you then. 